Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we? Excellent. Good, good to hear. I, uh, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, I think I know everyone here today. First, I've met everyone here today. Quiet in the front seats, please. <laughs>
Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point out these things to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the, the, truths of the faith, and of the good teaching you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. I wanted to um, break down this uh, chunk of scripture in a bit further as well, but before I get into what I have to say today, I just would like to pray and ask that God would um, speak through me because there's no point if God doesn't... Um, come and tell us something this morning. So would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much we can be here today. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to gather around your word and listen to what you might be saying to us this morning. Would you give us ears to hear, Lord? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds to hear what you would have to say? In your name we pray. Amen. So I think when Paul starts, he's, I guess, trying to set up for Timothy what we know is going on, what he knows is going on in the world today, and how he can give him a bit of a roadmap to deal with <coughs> when people start talking a little bit of crap. Yeah. Because it's going to happen, and it happens all the time, and we see it happen regularly. And what we know is that people are going to walk further and further away from God. And that's what Paul is saying, is that our, our human nature is that the entire world is always going to continue shifting naturally in a direction that doesn't include God, it doesn't include the teaching that we've all come to uh, realise is from him in, in Scripture. And we're going to have people who become hypocrites, who become liars, who are trying to uh, feather their own nest and... And they do that by saying that, oh, but this is actually really from God. God, God, says, God says we need to do this. And there's no basis for it. And what Paul's trying to set up with Timothy here is, how do we set up a roadmap to actually not allow that to happen within our communities or within your own, within your own self? Because even Jesus talks about in, um, in Matthew about... If something comes into your body, most of the time you can deal with it. Jesus says that, like they said, the stomach, the stomach can deal with what comes in through the mouth. But it's the things that come out of your mouth that can cause the most damage. And so sometimes if we receive something and it sits with us long enough and it's maybe not truthful, we will regurgitate that information and do some damage with it. Paul gives the example. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. They're the things that were in Paul's day issues for them where people would say, you can't eat this, you can't eat this. To all the vegans in the crowd, I hope you're listening especially. 
It's Jeremy. <laughs> I was really hoping my sisters would come today. <laughs> yeah, I'd stare them down. <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> it's good to pick on them. What, what kind of big brother would I be? <laughs> but I think it's interesting. That was that was a really big deal for them. What can we eat? What can't we eat? Is it kosher coming from, um, or they come from the the Judaism faith, where eating pork, eating unclean foods was not okay. There are still religions like that in the world today. But it's not something that really plagues us. And I thought, I wonder what does the things that I think that we hear a lot in society today is. If you give your money to God, God will give you lots of money. I think that's one. If you give your money to God, that means God will give you lots of money. The other one that I think is, if, it, if you hear it and it feels good, it must be true. If you hear it and it feels God, it must be true. I think a lot of things that people think that God is a magician. And... When you hear a sermon that says, oh, God just wants you to be healed and God doesn't want you to have anxiety and God doesn't want you to be sick and God's going to heal us all. I go, like, God does love you, but God's not a magician. And there's so much more to it than that because when we say, oh, God doesn't want you to be anxious, that puts it back on you of, well, why am I anxious then? Well, maybe God doesn't love me. Why can't I get over it? Is there something else wrong with me? People dealing with cancer. Yeah, we pray for cancer to be healed. We believe that God can kill cancer, and I'm sure he has. But that doesn't mean that people who suffer with cancer that God doesn't heal will one day... Oh, sorry, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love those people just as much. And there are a couple of examples of the things that we hear a lot today where even potentially well-meaning people can say something that ultimately is not a reflection of what God would have us do or who God is because God doesn't want us to think of him as our genie in a bottle. The one that I think ties that all up is, and I read on Facebook during the week and it really kind of got me, is People don't need theology, they just need Jesus. And I know so many people where I would say that to, in my own friends, again, good, well-meaning people who love God, who would go, yeah, I can get around that statement. Like theology, people just argue about it, and it just causes rifts, and it's no good. They just need Jesus. And maybe you can sit there and go, yeah, I can get around that statement too. I, I, that resonates something with me. I don't know. I think people do just need Jesus. They don't, just, they don't need to have a really great theological understanding. And so I wanted to go further in our scripture and talk to you about that. Have nothing to do, going from verse 7 in chapter 4, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labour and strive, 
that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What Paul's actually saying, and I want to guess give you a working definition of what I think theology is about. Theology is about how you work out who you think God is. Now that happens in an academic sense, and I think most people think of the academic side of it, but theology has something to do with you. It is about how you work out who you think God is. And Paul talks about how important it is to be disciplined in the way that we go about it. It needs to be worked at. We go to the gym or we go for a run or we go for a walk. You can't sit there and complain about feeling unhealthy if you don't do those things. And I think you can't sit there and say, oh, I just get so frustrated. Why don't I understand this about God? For the same reason if we're not exercising our spiritual muscles, exercising our theological muscles. We all have them. We all have the ability to, to read and to think and to have opinions and form them ourselves. And doing that through scripture, something happens and you get better at it and you understand more. But what I want to focus on is the goal of theology is not pomposity. Because I think people get that. And that's what frustrates, at the end of the day, that's what frustrates people mostly probably with theology is people become all high and mighty because they've got a degree or because they think they're smart and you see arrogance on Facebook or even in person. It creates a pompousness. But Paul talks about theology pointing us towards godliness. So physical training is of some value, and I think to an extent he would say academic training is of some value. But training yourself in godliness is paramount. We see that in verse 11. Um, I want to make five points today about how do I exercise in godliness. So in verse 11 we see you've got to teach other people what you know. Command and teach these things. What I've learned is that when I do teach about the Bible or when I teach somebody how to do, do anything at work, I, I've been a barista for a very long time, and every time I teach somebody to make coffee, I actually get better at it. And every time you talk to somebody about God and what you've learned through your experience, you mature your own experience. You develop your own gifts. Every time you talk to somebody about God, you get better at it. So don't feel like that you're not there yet, because none of us are. If I felt like I had to be 
a lot of like have it all together to speak to you today. I would never, I would never speak. I'm a, I'm a mess. <laughs> but God's given me a particular gifting that I've got to share, and I get better at it every time I do it. Doesn't mean I've got all the answers. I think people today, one thing that I notice a lot is that we've struggle to invite our friends to church anymore. I think it's such a taboo thing and I, I get bad at it as well. And I try to influence them where I can and say, can I pray for you if they're going through something? But really like evangelizing to people is something that I've in recent times found really difficult. The climate that religion is looked under in society right now is not a positive one and I probably put a bit of self-preservation there. But I think Paul again is saying, command and teach godliness in your own sphere because you will get better at it. And take some courage and have that conversation with a friend or a co-worker about who Jesus is. Because every time you do it, you're going to get better at it. Number two in verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So, I mean, Timothy was in a really specific setting here. Um, he's a young pastor of a church who's being mentored by the Apostle Paul. And Timothy was a young guy. And young pastors can sometimes struggle because people go, you haven't been around the trap, son. You don't know what you're doing and whatever. And at the end of the day, age is just a number. It doesn't really have an impact on your spiritual gifting. Sometimes you need to learn maturity, but maturity and age often don't have a correlation. I'm nearly 30 and I still act like a 14-year-old sometimes. <laughs> but in a lot of ways... I'm married and I have two kids and I have mates who are 30 who are nowhere near that stage. So age isn't a thing, but the example I want to bring is that age is not the important thing here. It's that Paul, um, Paul is making sure that Timothy doesn't listen to a load of crap about who he is. How's Timothy's crap detector? And Paul is just calibrating it. Don't listen to that crap. People say, ah... Oh, you don't understand. How, well, you've only been going to church for four minutes. How could you possibly... I don't. No. You have a relationship with God. It's up to you to sit down and get to know Him and spend time with Him. People will help you along the way. But just because you've only been here for a couple of minutes, oh, you're a bit old and you're a bit past it. Your ideas are a bit spent. What are you listening to in your life? Is it God's opinion of you? Or is it somebody else's opinion of you? Is it good? Or is it a load of crap? I've written down here, be confident in your identity in God. The best way to do that is to set an example. And that's the second half of what Paul says here. Set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. If you set an example and you strive to show godliness, it's very hard for people to 
find time to pick with you. I'm sure they'll try. But the more you practice those things, the less of a foothold naysayers have when they want to take you down. Number three, moving along, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Wednesday nights, we come here, we talk about what we said, and read this Bible together and you can have engaging conversation, learn a bit more. Those kinds of events can't be done too often. Coming in on a Sunday is not, is not enough to feed your spiritual muscles, to create something in you. It's something that has to be done constantly. I have lots of friends who I spend time with during the week and I'm having conversations about how I shape my opinions, how I shape my view of God. It's a constant journey. At no stage does any person who's speaking sit out the front and think they've got it all together and they've got it all clued out. We don't. Even on what I'm speaking about today, I'm sure if I preach this message again in a year's time, I'll be better at it because I will have talked with other people and sharpened it. You know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. It's good to get together as often as possible and to talk about godly things. Because it has both spiritual and practical outcomes for you as well. You'll notice that the little voice in your head tells you that you're not enough, maybe everything's not okay, uh, maybe God doesn't really care for me, what's the point in going to church today? The voice will get smaller and smaller and smaller because you'll be too full of the things of God to allow any more room in it. You know, our, our bodies as spiritual vessels only have a certain capacity. What do you give your capacity to? If we had a jug of water here, or I've got a glass of water here, it's nearly at capacity, but there's still room in there for something else. But if you fill that to the brim, in fact, the Bible talks about your cup overflowing, that there's actually too much of God to fit in you that will spill out. There's no room for the enemy to get a foothold in your thoughts, and in your opinions of yourself and drag you away from what you're here to do. And I think the Bible does put, I always have an issue with, uh, I guess, hearing uh, like sermons that are like five steps to conquer anxiety or five things that you can do in your life to be a better person or whatever. I try to not speak like that because I think it puts so much emphasis on Christianity just being a behaviour modification tool because it's not. But the reality is that the closer and closer we can come to being like Jesus, the more and more our behaviours change. And it is a good byproduct. And that does have really good outcomes in your life. It has practical outcomes in your life. Anger doesn't get the better of you anymore. We see the fruit of the Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all good behavioural outcomes. 
of being in a working relationship with Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So there is a practical element to it. Number four in verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone will see your progress. I've um, stitched that myself up a little bit. I've written my note wrong, sorry. But that's what I wanted to focus on. Is the idea of being staying diligent with what God has given you. With verse 14 and 15 together. God has given you an ability to do something. He's given everybody an ability to do something. It's your life's work to figure out what that is and how it works in with his plan. And it takes diligence and discipline. I'm somebody that's had a pretty... Oh, I'm trying to think of that. My life has had lots of influences in it. But from a really, really young age, growing up in a church, having your dad as a pastor, I've had a lot of people tell me what I should be when I grow up. I had a lot of people compare me to my dad. He's a great guy, and it's a really great thing. But it also puts a lot of pressure on me, and it has put a lot of pressure on me as I've grown up. And I was at a summer camp when I was 15, and at the summer camp, I felt like I had God speak to me. Before this, by the way, I wanted to be a lawyer, I'm sure you can all tell that I hate arguing. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to do. And so there were the subjects I was picking in school. And then when I was 15, about to enter my last two years of high school, I went on a summer camp and I felt like God said, you're going to end up doing what your dad does. I was 15. And I just, I'm an absolute... I have no attention span whatsoever, so I have no patience whatsoever. So it means right in that moment, that's what I want to do. Law's out the window. In fact, school basically went out the window at that point. And I just wanted to get involved in youth. So I got involved in youth ministry and in kids ministry. And I started going on these camps myself. And I started building up my gifts. And I started uh, studying my Bible a whole lot more. I finished school. I went to Bible college. I went and ran the youth program here for quite a long time. I was involved in the youth program here for a really long time. We had varying levels of success in it with a lot of people coming at some stages. And I always thought, this is what I'm gonna do. But every time I thought I got to the stage where God would say, here's a job, it's all I want you to do full time, that rug was pulled out from underneath me. Of something I believe God told me 15 years ago. Oh, it's a long time. It's half my life now where I've known what God wants me to do and I've got to find the way that I do it. I still have another job and I'm still waiting, but it's my life's work to understand why God's put me on the planet, which I've got a pretty good idea of now. But the other half of that is being diligent and disciplined and not giving up and do not neglect your gift. How easy for me. And at times it's happened. I go, 
too hard. And just open yourself up. Like every time you get up on stage, you open yourself up for criticism. It's one of the most nervous things about standing up. Some people, I'm, I like public speaking, don't get me wrong. I couldn't do it if I didn't. Like I genuinely enjoy being up here. But I'm nervous every time because I worry about if anybody's going to like it. And I'm sure you all have those anxieties about the things that God tells you to do. It's the same. And it's about working it out. And it's never, never too late. And it's never too early to start working out and figuring it out. And sometimes it's not what you thought it would be. Sometimes you're literally on the planet to talk to people that nobody else does and make sure that those people feel loved. Maybe it's your job to be successful in business and to provide means to other people. I think when I look at a scripture like where the Bible says, forget the reference, you can Google it. It's in there, I promise. To whom much is given, much will be required. I often look at that and go, yeah, well, I don't have heaps of cash, so I'm exempt. But I'm also a talented speaker. So if it means that I don't use my gift in speaking that other people have, like other people literally shake and vomit and everything when they got to give a, deliver uh, any sort of presentation to people, that doesn't happen to me. And so I've actually been given a lot. I have a family that supports me. I have two amazing children. I've been given a lot. So a lot's required of me. It's just not money, but it's so easy for us to just attribute it to money. Maybe, maybe you don't have a lot on and you've got heaps of time. That's worth a lot. And how you use that time will be what God requires of you. Maybe you've got no time but you've got whatever. Look at what's in your hand. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Other people's opinions don't matter. God's opinion matters. But the good thing about doing this is that other people will see when you start making progress. They'll come up to you, something's different. And that's when you start listening to other people is when they start to notice what's going on. Something's different. Use that to spur you on. I couldn't do what I do if people didn't come up to me and say, you're a really good job. Seeing other people's progress is the other flip side of that. It's the other thing that, I just got to talk about everything that annoys me today. But when we always put onus on the individual, not the collective, And what I mean by that is when we say um, everyone will see your progress, we think, great, I'm going to listen to all the positive things people are saying about me. But the, like, other side of that is that you've got to be looking for other people's progress in your community and encouraging them on their journey too. You see how we can switch it from the individual to the collective as well? It's something we've got to think about a lot. So when we're talking about using your gift right it's important for you to sit there and figure that out but as a collective it's important that we give opportunities to people to use their gift 
and encourage them in that as the collective. Does that make sense? So every time that there's an instruction in the Bible, like 99 times out of 100, if there's an individual directive, that that also comes with a community one as well. Because this is not an individual sport. This is a team sport. And the individual is never more important than the collective. So in our congregation here, if you there's an individual instruction, in fact, all of these today, teaching others what you know, I'm going to go back through it because I only just thought of this, but it's helpful. Teaching others what you know comes with listen to others when they're telling you what they know. That's the collective. Be confident in your identity in God. Let's make sure we're not tearing down people's identity, who they are in God. Let's make sure we're building that. Read the Bible together. That's a collective one anyway. Stay diligent. Stay disciplined. People will notice. Encourage diligence. Keep each other accountable. And notice when somebody does a good job. Be careful what you say is my last point. Be careful what you say. Paul finishes it like this to Timothy in this chapter. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So like I said before, sometimes stuff coming in is not going to damage other people. But what comes out of you can. And that's why Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely. And that word doctrine is very tied in with the theology thing if we go back to it, how you work out what you think of God. It's very important that there is a filter on that. Because our relationship with God and the Bible specifically, the Bible is the greatest revelation that we have as humans from God and of God. So the first thing that Satan's going to attack every time is how you read this. There needs to be some convention to it. It needs to be worked at. That's why coming on a Wednesday is important for you doing things like that because you're gonna sit down and you're gonna learn the convention of how to navigate your world through spirituality and navigate your world through the Bible. I've been very lucky, I've grown up learning these things from a really young age, learning about memory verses, learning about little things that every time you read the word therefore in the Bible, my brain goes, what's it there for? I learned that when I was like eight. But learning those conventions, no matter what age we are, is really, really important. And I think that there, we get we get concerned about being called conservatives or getting accused of being conservative and there are some things where that's probably true where Jesus was a pretty radical person and Jesus challenged convention but then there are other things that are, but we put parameters around the way that we read the Bible for example because otherwise you can make it say whatever you like if you start cherry picking from it 
It's really important and I can't stress it enough and we need to do it more because there is a really big individual responsibility that we all have when it comes to our own personal beliefs and doctrines. It's not good enough to just say, oh, but just what I think. Because we're God's people and we're called to be different. And we're called to constantly try and empty ourselves and fill ourselves with Jesus. I want to take us to the result. And this is something that I've been missing a lot lately. Persevere. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. At the end of the day, once you receive the gift that you've received from God, the whole point of this thing is to share it with other people. Yes, we're always going to be on a journey. Yes, we're always going to be becoming closer to Jesus and more like him, and that's the individual thing. But the collective is making sure that we are bringing people who don't yet know who he is into our sphere. And when we watch what we say closely, we have that ability to tick something off in their brain where they will enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's all about showing others Jesus. And I want to just push you on this last statement. The way that we think about God will end up being how we introduce the world to his son. The opinion of you, God, will shape the way that you introduce Jesus to everyone around you because the two are interlinked. You can't think that God is a big baddie up there with a stick that just wants to tell you you're wrong all the time and on the same hand believe that he would send Jesus who is this loving, lamb-stroking, you know, pacifist. Those two opinions don't go hand in hand. Also, don't be like this South Carolina. (laughs) 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 I love how awkward it is. Such as... Iraq. What? Practice your opinions. It takes practice. Practice your theology. It takes practice. Practice your doctrine. It takes a lot of practice. Can I pray? And then I'm, and I'm done. God, I thank you that you care about what we do with our lives. And I thank you that you care about how we think and you actually gave us the ability ability to be intelligent people who can think for themselves and that's part of the amazement of why you would do that why you would let us choose if we have a relationship with you or not would you teach us how to do that better how to put more responsibility on ourselves when it comes to spiritual discipline and when it comes to our doctrines and our thinkings. When it comes to how our bullcrap meter is going, our radar, 
Would that be your Holy Spirit filling us and taking us off when we know it's wrong and correcting it? We love you. We want to be more like you. We thank you for your son. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks,